Amen. You may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this time that we have as we gather together this morning. We pray that you would lead and guide us as we open your word. Uh, We pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. The truth of your word would speak to us, that you would show us clearly uh, who you are, the great God that we serve, that you would... uh, and press more fully upon our hearts uh, just the truth of what you've called us to be and what that looks like in Jesus. And I pray that you would uh, move in this place. Uh, as we often confess, we can't do this without your spirit leading and guiding us in this time. And so we pray, we ask that you would do that, that you would show us, that you would apply the truth of your scripture to our hearts and our minds. And that it would, uh, we would leave here having seen you more clearly. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I've mentioned uh, several times here, uh, if you know me at all, you know, I I love basketball and I grew up playing basketball. That was like my my thing. And and as I realize as I'm getting older, uh, I'm getting progressively worse at basketball. Uh, Every time I go to play, that becomes abundantly clear. I'm getting worse and worse at basketball. And and the reason, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the big reasons that I'm getting worse at basketball is if I'm lucky, I get to play maybe once every other week. And so when I go to the gym to play basketball, I haven't touched a basketball since the last time I was at the same gym to play basketball. And so I walk in and I don't practice. Uh, I never go out and just dribble or shoot or run sprints or do any of those things. And I just walk into the gym and I warm up for about 10 minutes and then I just start playing. And then I leave uh, and I'm all excited and I feel good. And then a couple hours later, I'm miserable. My knees hurt and my hip hurts and my ankle and everything else. And it's really hard to recover and all that goes with that. And so I'm just realizing that I'm getting progressively worse at basketball. And I'll lament to Joanna when I get home. I always say the same thing. I go, I either need to retire or I need to play a whole lot more. But this like once every so often isn't real, real good because I'm just getting worse and worse. And I was thinking about that in terms of basketball and just that, what that looks like and the reasons that are there. And it's a good picture as we look this morning in Hebrews and our walk with God and what he's calling us to as we continue our way through Hebrews. Last week we started the book of Hebrews, a letter written to the early church that's struggling, that's having problems, that's wrestling with all that's going on. And this letter is written to encourage them. And we said last week, one of the big themes that kind of runs through Hebrews is this moving uh, on our journey from weariness to rest. And the way the author is pointing us to that, to rest, is to see Jesus and to see that he's better than everything else. And we started that way last week because in chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3, we have one of the highest of the high pictures of who Jesus is in Scripture. And it gives us this picture that Jesus is God, that when we see Jesus, we see the exact imprint of the very nature of God. We are looking at God and that he is the creator and that he is the sustainer of all things. He's the redeemer or savior. And it lays out this incredible picture of Jesus. And then he goes on to say that because of this, he's greater than the angels. He says that in chapter one. And we talked about how different things can vie for our affections against, over and against who Jesus is in our life. That that happens from time to time. Different things that we look at. Uh, I talked about football last week and I must have struck a chord because a lot of people came up to me and went, yeah, that's me. I deal with that all the time. Kind of jokingly, but also very serious that we do put those things in front of who Christ is. And so we were talking about that last week, things that raise up 
to vie for our affections of our Savior. That here's this incredible soaring picture, but yet we still look to other things. And so this morning we're going to continue in chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple verses in chapter 3 and chapter 5 because this gets repeated over and over and over again. And we see it run all the way through Hebrews. And looking at these verses together, I think we'll see it more fully by putting them together. But we're going to look at this idea of how do we combat this uh, desire, this, this way that we begin to drift, as he'll say as we look at it, that we begin to put other things in his place. And that's the problem that we're going to look at this morning, the problem that we face, letting other things vie for our affections. And so we're going to look at first, what is the problem? And then secondly, we're going to look at the answer that he begins to give us on how that works, how we work that out. And then lastly, just some practical help as we end on how to walk that out together. Right. So there's a problem and then the answer he gives and then how we walk that out together. And so let's jump right in with this idea, the problem that's there starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. And he says it real clearly. Therefore, remember the therefore is in light of everything we looked at in chapter 1. How great Jesus is and he's better than the angels and what we're saying of who Christ is and all that he is. Therefore, in light of that, let us pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. And so he says, pay closer attention to everything I just told you here in chapter 1. This is so important that we see this. But then look at what he says in chapter three, starting in verse 12. So just right there on the same page, if you're following along in the Pew Bible, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then look at chapter 5 and verse 11, because he's, he's saying the same thing, and he's kind of fleshing it out in a little different language. But then verse 11 says, about this we have much to say to you, but it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And so he says three things there in those different sections. He's coming back, summary statement, saying the same thing and pointing to us over and over and over again. In these first five chapters, he hits on this point real hard three different times. And he tells us the problem that we have is when we don't pay close attention to who Christ is and what he's done, we will begin to drift. And then he comes back again and he says it again. And he says that the deceitfulness of sin will begin to harden our heart, that our heart will become hardened because of sin in our life and letting that take a place that it shouldn't have. And then again in chapter 5, then he'll tell us that we've become dull of hearing. And so it's hard for us to grasp and understand and grow in some of these things because we've become dull of hearing. And so he says it over and over that without a concerted effort, without paying close attention, without continually reminding one another, we're prone to drift. We're prone to harden our hearts. We're prone to become uh, dull of hearing. And he gives us this picture of what it looks like. And when we think about that, we can see that in different areas of our life. I started with my example of basketball. I see myself drifting in basketball. And it makes perfect sense when you start to put it in those terms. Does it not? Is it any wonder that I show up to play basketball and I'm worse than I was six months ago when I don't practice at all? Right? I don't ever go out and practice or run or shoot or any of those things. Then you add into it, I'm getting older, now 38 years old. And so I used to go play on Thursday and then Saturday. It's really hard to play on Saturday when I played on Thursday because I haven't rebounded yet from Thursday. (laughs) As sad as that is, 
I'm like, I just don't feel up to it. My knee's still hurting. I haven't quite rebounded. Right? That's what happens when you get older. It becomes harder to rebound and do it again. Whether it's working out or whatever you're doing, it gets more difficult. Right? And if you're, I'd say anybody over 30 knows that real well. If you're under 30, just wait. It will happen. One day you will wake up and you'll go, this is way harder than it used to be. And we know that physically. We see that in our in ourselves. We feel that in our bodies. We see that at different times. We know how that is true. Uh, a, a lot of us go through that cycle. New year comes. We make new year resolutions. I'm going to work out now. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to go after that. And then you do it two or three days and you go, this is really hard. This is even harder than I tried this last year. Right? And it's really difficult. Right? And so we see this in all different things in all different ways. And the truth is there's no neutral in our life. There's no just floating along. Think about when you get in an inner tube on a river, what happens? If you just decide I'm going to float there, the river will start to pull you downstream. Even if it's a really, really uh, slow current, even if it's really slight, over time you will start to kind of drift down. And that's the truth with us in our lives physically for sure. But scripture warns us over and over the truth. The truth of that is applied to us spiritually as well. When we become a believer, when we become a Christian, when we see Christ for who he is, the Bible tells us that we're regenerated. We're made new. And I always think of Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses, but God being rich in mercy has caused you to become alive in Jesus. You're now a new creation. Your heart becomes alive. Scripture talks about that we have a heart of stone and that because of what God has done through Jesus, we now have a heart of flesh. New affections, new things begin to happen. We begin to see things differently. I had a friend who wrote a song about how we now see colors that we couldn't see before. I love that analogy. We now see things in a different light, in a different way. Oftentimes when you meet someone who is a new believer and they've just come to realization that I am a sinner... And I am saved by the God of the universe. That picture that we see in chapter 1, the creator, sustainer, redeemer of all, has set his affections on me and brought me to life. And we get really, really excited. I am so gung-ho. I'm going to go tell people. We don't even know what we're going to tell them. But we're going to go tell them because we're really excited about it. And we're ready to go. And we start to do that. And we start to move along. And then what happens is life sets in. And that starts to get crowded out. And suddenly we're not quite as excited anymore. Suddenly drift starts to happen. I'm too busy. Right? I used to love to read my Bible when I got saved. But now it's like I'd have to get up earlier. And I've got to go to work. And I've got to get the kids to practice. And I've got to do that. I just don't have time. And so it tells us, it warns us that a drift sets in when we begin to do that. This is the deceitfulness of sin hardens our heart. Jeremiah tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things. Right? That my sinfulness, my flesh will combat me and go, hey, you don't need to get up, you're good. Right? Just pray in the car on the way to work, you'll be fine. Right? That's, that's the deceitfulness of my heart. And so we begin to do that and we begin to drift The picture that I see in Scripture is that we have a heart of stone and God breathes life into it. And now it's a heart of flesh. We're now brought to life. But the truth is there's lots of areas of our heart when that comes to life. Yes, we've seen that we need a Savior. Yes, we see that I'm separated from God. Yes, it's only Jesus that can do this. And I grasp onto that and I feel that and I see that and God has applied that and I say yes. But then there's all these other areas of my heart that needs that truth worked into it in all different ways. 
that haven't been applied quite yet. We often talk that way here in terms of discipleship. Discipleship is becoming obedient to Jesus in every area of your life through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so as we become a believer, there's all these areas we haven't even touched. And so he tells us to continue to do this. But oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes, we, well, I've got my ticket, my get out of hell free card. I'm good. I know where I'm going. And now I'll just float it out from here on. And he says, when you do that, there's no neutral. You start to lose ground. You start to float back. Now, I want to be careful whenever we say this, whenever we talk about the gospel. As we talk about that being the problem here of not paying close attention to what we've heard, beginning to drift, that your love, uh, uh, God's love and affection and acceptance of you is not dependent on your uh, work. It's not dependent on how well you work all those things out. But the Bible does say if you're truly saved and you're truly trusting in him, you will begin to move in this direction. And so there's a there's always that tension there throughout Scripture. But the picture is when we don't, when we don't see that and we start to just kind of become ho-hum about the gospel, we start to drift. It's a lifelong process. Jesus didn't say, go get people to pray a prayer so that they get out of hell free at my expense. You don't get them to pray a prayer and then just float it out from here on out. He said, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded. That is a lifelong process. And oftentimes we stop right there. Or we go, oh, I'm kind of good. I got it. I'm all right. I've got enough. But that's what it's warning us about here. That's the problem that we have. And so he says in a chapter or verse 11 of chapter 5, he says it's hard for us to explain. We have much more to say, but you've become dull of hearing. You're not hearing what's being said. I want you to think about what happens when that's happening. Think of everything we said last week about who Jesus is. That soaring picture of who he is. And we see that and we say, yes, that is incredible. And look at who Christ is, the creator, sustainer, redeemer of the world. He's come down and he set his sights on me and he's brought me in. And now it becomes ho-hum. Yeah, that's cool. And we start to act that way. God so graciously, clearly showed me kind of that picture uh, years ago, and it's still stained uh, or or just implanted in my brain. Uh, Shortly after college, I went to Europe for two months, and I rode the train all over Europe, and I was so excited. Architecture student, I was working as an architect. I was so excited about seeing certain buildings and going to all these places that I'd studied and seeing all these things. And so I was there for two months riding the Eurorail all over Europe. And I remember getting on a train very vividly. It was from San Sebastian, which is right on the border of France and Spain, to go to Bilbao, Spain. Bilbao is where the Guggenheim Museum is, one of the greatest works of architecture of our time. And I was so excited to go there. But it was a seven-hour train ride. I was like, seven hours? You know, I'm kind of like, oh, that's going to be a long time. What am I, you know, kind of working that through in my mind. And I got on the train, and I started thinking, well, I could read. Uh, I could uh, maybe take a nap. But I'm watching outside the train. It's beautiful everywhere, all in front of you. Just incredible things. I'd never seen any of it before. Traveling the countryside of Spain that I'd never been to before. And a guy got in front of me on the train, and he quickly went to sleep right in front of me. So he's snoring right here in front of me. And I'm going, that looks pretty good. I think I'd like to take a nap. 
Next stop, the train stops and a guy gets on right across from me. A little bit at the time, I was early 20s. I thought he was really old. He was probably like late 30s, maybe 40. He doesn't seem so old anymore, but he got in there and he was sitting there and he got on. He didn't speak English. I don't know exactly where he was from, but he got in his seat right by the window and he was glued to the window with this excitement on his face of what he was going to see. And every turn, every bend that we went around, he'd look around and he'd look out the window and then he'd look over and he'd make eye contact with me and he'd be like, look at this, right? Look at what's out there, right? And he kept doing that every turn. And suddenly I was more excited about the ride because watching it through him. And I so vividly remember his face. And then all of a sudden he saw the guy that was asleep. And he looked over and he looked at me and he looked at the guy asleep and he looked over and he started to laugh. He started to laugh to the point that he had tears. He was crying because he was laughing so hard. He couldn't believe that anybody would sleep through this. I mean, he's had tears rolling down his face in this enjoyment. How can you miss what's going on? He didn't even speak English, but his face said it all. How in the world could you be uh, so uh, taken, not taken with what's around you? And I looked at that picture and I remember writing in my journal and saying to God, that is so me all the time with my God. And I've become ho-hum to the creator of the universe who came down and did this for me. And there he was sleeping. This guy, God's, that guy may have been an angel. I don't know. But Hebrews actually says you may have entertained angels unaware and you don't even know it. That their God was going, hey, look at what I'm doing all around you. And it was this incredible picture. And here's what he's warning us of right here. Pay much closer attention so that you don't drift. Right? That's the picture he's telling us. And so that's what we have here as we think about the problem. We begin to drift. We become dull of hearing. Our heart becomes hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We struggle with all these things. So what does he tell us is the answer to the problem here? Well, it's right there in verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. The title of the sermon today says, Furiously Obsessed. That's what that literally says. I've just told you who Jesus is and what he's done. Become furiously obsessed with this truth. Make this the center of your life in your being. Become wholly devoted to this. I think about the picture of drifting and not doing it. But what's the picture of being wholly devoted to being furiously obsessed? Right? I talk about basketball and lament. Well, I don't practice anymore. I don't do that. When I was in high school and in college, I was furiously obsessed with basketball. I played in different leagues and on my school team and all those kind of things. And as soon as the season was over, to me it meant that's time to work harder to get better. And so I shot about a thousand shots every day. And I did dribbling drills and I lifted weights and I wore a weight vest and I ran the stairs in my house for like 45 minutes every day. And then I would run 32 minutes of sprints because that's how long our games were. And I wasn't that good of an athlete, and I knew I couldn't be uh, tired and expect to do well. Right? The one thing I had is I'm not going to be tired. Right? <laughs> when you're not that fast and you can't jump that high, you better not be getting tired on top of that. <laughs> and so I worked so hard because I loved basketball, and it was such an important part of my life, and I got better. 
And I was growing in my understanding and how to play and physically and all those things that go with it. And that was the picture. So what does that look like to be furiously obsessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life? How do you see that as the center of everything that you do? How do we make what he's telling us to do a reality in our life? And I think when you put these couple of different passages together, you get a pretty good picture of what it looks like. And so look at chapter 5 there for just a second. Verse 11 says about this, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers and you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the power of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so he starts to tell you what it looks like to live furiously obsessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. The way he fleshes that out in those verses. He says you become uh, dull of hearing, and as such, because of that, you've now stunted your growth. You should be mature, but you're not because you've become dull of hearing. And he uses this great analogy. He says you're still drinking milk, but you should be on solid food. Think about that picture just in our own society and what we would do today. I have a son, uh, Quinn, who's almost five. He's four years old. If you saw Quinn walking around here drinking a bottle, he'd probably go, it's a little weird, right? Isn't that kid kind of old to be drinking from a bottle? You'd probably say that. You're okay. Well, now, fast forward. What if my son, Asher, who's nine, is walking around with a bottle in his hand? Then he'd start to go, what is up with their family? Why are they giving him a bottle when he's nine, right? Now, now take it forward even more. Right? What, if, what if my nephew, Seth, who's 15, is walking around in here with a bottle, right? You go, somebody needs to say something to them because that's just not right. Right? You shouldn't be drinking a bottle at that age. And that's exactly what he says. You've become dull of hearing. You have begin to drift. You're not listening. And so as such, you're still drinking a bottle when you should be on to, to solid food. And it's a pretty good analogy when you see the picture that's there. That's what he's telling us and what it should look like. So what does it mean? What does maturity mean the way he describes it here? Because he uses this uh, contrast between the two. And he tells us what it looks like to be mature. He says, by constant practice, they have their powers of discernment trained. We get trained in seeing things rightly. And then he says, uh, the unskilled, those who are living on milk that are immature, they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. So the flip side of that is the mature are skilled in the word of righteousness. And so what does that mean? What is the picture he's talking about? Solid food versus milk. What does that look like? Maturity that's there. And I think part of the picture is skilled in the word of righteousness. Right? To be skilled. What does that mean? How are we righteous? There's there's only one answer. It's Jesus, right? It's always if you're not sure, the answer is going to be Jesus. Right? We we are We are made righteous by what Christ does for us and not our own doing. Right? That's the fullness of what we believe. I can never make myself righteous in God's sight on what I do. It's only what Christ has done for me. He imputes or gives his work to me that I can be righteous in God's sight. 
And so we talk about being skilled in the word of righteousness. I think the picture that he's pointing us to is being skilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being able to see it and apply it and speak it and apply it to your heart and to do that with one another. And so the picture here of the meat that he's pointing us to is being fluent in the gospel and how it pertains to everything. Seeing how it applies. See, oftentimes I think we get that backwards. Right? We, we go, well, well, the milk is that you've got to get saved and you've got to pray the prayer and you've got to make sure you're okay. And then we'll move on to meat and we'll talk about like end times and we'll talk about how to figure out this stuff over here and what this word means and what this is. It's like, oh, wait a second. The meat is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it transforms all of your being. Every bit of it. And so when he says he makes the comparison that some of you need to go back and you need to go back to the basic principles of the oracles of God. And I think he's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about all the pictures that are there and how God was moving and what is true and looking at that. And by the way, I'm not making light of those things. Those things are vitally important. He says you need to be trained in this so that you can be skillful in the word of righteousness. They go together. And so don't look at it, well, that's the milk. We don't care about that. We absolutely do. They go together. They help us to see the fullness of the gospel more fully. And so when we talk about what that looks like, skilled in those things, the oracles of God and the picture that's there, we we want to see the fullness of what he's shown us. You're created in God's image. You are made to be in a relationship with him. Our sin has separated us from God, but God is not going to leave us there. And he's promised a Savior, and he's moving towards it. And we get to the New Testament, and it's all Jesus. By the way, that's the book of Hebrews. He's going to show you all the way through everything that you were looking at, and all the things that you knew, and all that was there. The law, and Moses, and the temple, and the high priest, and every bit of it was a shadow pointing to the fullness that is Christ. So you need to know the basic principles of the oracles of God so that you can be skilled in the word of righteousness. I'm yelling a lot. I'm so sorry. I'm very excited about Hebrews. But that's the picture that's there. He's going, you need to know this so that you can apply this. And you can encourage one another. And you can exhort one another daily as long as it's called today. And you need to know these things together. And so that's the picture that he's pointing us to over and over. See, oftentimes we go off and we get into studying the word and all these things, and you should study the word. It won't return void. It will not be wasted time. Spend much time in God's word. But we want to do that so that we see more fully how Christ completes all of these things. And we can then speak that to one another and we can tell the world, we can proclaim it as we grow closer and we see him more fully. He says, that's the answer. You need to pay much closer attention to what you've heard. Become furiously obsessed with the gospel. And we're to see that. Don't become dull of hearing. Don't let that the creator God of the universe has come down and done what you could never do for you. Be ho-hum. See it afresh every day. And so I want us just to end for just a second of practically how do we begin to walk that out. How do we apply that? He says here in verse 11 and 12, he says, you've become dull of hearing. And so you can't understand some of the things I'm trying to tell you because you've become dull of hearing. 
And then he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk and not food or, or solid food. And the picture that's there that I want you to see is if you sit here today and God is convicting you or graciously showing you as it is that, man, I'm still in the bottle in a lot of ways. Maybe you sit here and you go, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I'm still in the bottle. I don't see how this applies in these different ways and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that looks like and maybe you feel inadequate or you feel worried about it. What I often find happens when we get together in smaller groups is people go, just don't call on me. Right? Just don't ask me a question. Don't put me on the spot. And I think part of it is you might get uh, kind of found out that I don't know all the answers. Right? I meet with a group of pastors. Joanna and I are doing a thing that we meet online and we're video chatting. And I feel myself doing that sometimes. Oh, this guy knows a lot more than me. I hope he doesn't ask me. Right? And that's... What that is, is I'm forgetting who I am in Christ. You don't have to be afraid to say, I don't know all this. Join the club. We all don't know all of it. We're still growing in that. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, you need to go back to the milk of the word and get these things and understand this so that we can be skilled in the word of righteousness. There's no shame in that. And so if you sit here today and you go, I think that's kind of me. Okay, that's the first step. What are we going to do about it? God's given you a family right here to walk with you, to help you grow in those things. And there's no shame in saying that. And if you miss that or you say, I don't want anybody to know that because that's where I am right now. You're not skilled in the word of righteousness. And so I'm going to tell you this. God doesn't love you any less. You're not accepted any less. He doesn't set his affections on you any less. So start it today. You don't have to go, oh man, I don't want anybody to know. That's what we're here for. That's why he's brought us together to help one another to grow in that. And so if that's you, we start today. I'm not going to do the thing where I say, close your eyes and raise your hand. And if you want help, I'll come. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to tell you before you leave, if you go, man, I need help in a discipleship plan. I'm just going to ask, do you have a personal discipleship plan in your life right now? Have you sat down and thought, man, this is kind of where I'm weak. This is where I'd like to grow. This is where I'm seeking to grow. This is where I need help. I don't know the answer to this. Have you ever done that? And if you haven't, I'm going to tell you, do that. And then come to us and let us help you on how to attack that. So that we don't become dull of hearing. So we don't begin to drift, that we don't become ho-hum on the creator of the universe. So start there. That's great. Nobody's going to look down on you. Nobody's going to go, oh, I can't believe you don't know that. I say, okay, let's go. We get to do this together. That's what it means to make disciples who make disciples. We're supposed to be becoming obedient in every area. There's no shame in that. And so start there. And then the next point I would tell you, and we'll end here this morning. Chapter 3, he says to you, Take care, brothers, lest there be any unbelieving, evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You're not supposed to do this on your own. 
You're called to gather together with other people and have them helping you and walking with you in this. You're not supposed to do this alone. He says, exhort one another every day. I'm not a genius, but you cannot do that by just coming here on Sunday. It's not possible. You can't exhort one another every day if you're not spending time with other believers throughout the week. And so if you go, man, I don't know how to do that. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to get plugged in and those things. Please come ask. I will personally take you and introduce you to people. You're invited to come to my house. If you live close to me, you're invited. Hear me, and I'm serious when I say this. You're invited to drop by and see us. Unannounced. I'm not joking. And the reason I'm not joking is because I take this so seriously. I want us to grow in this together. And we need one another. We were never designed to do this on our own. God tells us that over and over. And so if you don't know where to start, please don't leave today going, man, I should be doing that, but I don't know where to start. I'm removing that excuse. Right? You can come ask me. There'll be people down front that will pray with you. You can ask any of the elders. We would love nothing more than to sit down with you and go, okay, well, where do we need to begin? Because we're called to do this together. That's the great news. You can go, man, I'm lost. I don't know where to be. Well, good. You're not on your own. God's given you a family to help you in this. And so simply put, when we end, we're going to end here. We serve a God that is so wonderful that he deserves our attention and our focus and our dedication so much so that we need to live together in doing that. And the good news is we get to do this. As you engage and as you do this and as you walk the way he's called you to walk, it's really great. It actually makes things easier. It's encouraging. This is not a duty that we have to do. This is something we get to do. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the book of Hebrews. We thank you for the beautiful picture of who you are and the way you love us and the way you call us to center our lives around you. I pray that you would help us this day to make that a reality. I pray specifically for those that sit here this morning and go, I'm not sure where to start. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm worried that people won't love me if they find out everything there is to know about me. I pray that you would speak the truth to them through your spirit, that they are loved, that you care about them, that you want to work in and through our lives. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would help knit us together uh, with a unity and a bond that can only be found in Jesus through your spirit. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.